Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning again. It's good to see you. I'm Father Morgan Reed, the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. Over the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at the epistle of St. Paul uh, to the Corinthians, this first epistle, 1 Corinthians, um, because it helps remind the church of what its main focus should be. The Corinthian church was a really distracted church. And St. Paul writes to them to sort of recenter them on who Christ is, to whom all things belong. And so as we sit this morning with a lot of feelings, um, things about grief of leaving something, things about excitement and anticipation about moving church locations, and for some of you, extra excitement about moving times uh, to 11 a.m., you know, this, this passage this morning has a really great quality about it for, for grounding us um, in, in who Christ is and, and in the life that we have in Christ. So as we get into 1 Corinthians together, let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed God who makes all things new. Granted, this young community of word and sacrament might be leaven for the world's bread and wine of delight for hearts in need, a gathering strong for service and glad in praise, and the people listening and responding to your presence in their midst. Lord, we also thank you for uh, the year and a half that we've had in this space. Thank you for Reverend Woodson's hospitality. Um, for the church's uh, hospitality as well. Lord, we give you thanks. And we end this chapter here today looking ahead to the ways that there is a new day coming for us. And we give you thanks. Through Jesus, our Redeemer, and our steadfast companion. Amen. Well, let me tell you about a book that, if you're a millennial, maybe you grew up with this book too, this was one of my favorite childhood books, and it was given to me when we had our son, and it is now one of his favorite books as well. And it's called Goofy's Big Race. <laughs> Maybe some of you have heard of this. Anybody else have Goofy's Big Race? Am I the only one? Great. Okay. So it was one of my favorites as a kid, and now it's one of our, our son's favorites. It takes the fable of the tortoise and the hare, which you're probably familiar with, and then it, and it rewrites that fable with... Disney characters, essentially. It sort of rewrites the story with Goofy and Donald. And in that story, Goofy has this good old car who he calls Betsy. Uh, and the Betsy doesn't work too well, but she makes it from point A to point B, slow and steady, steady and slow. Meanwhile, Donald has this amazing red sports car that goes really fast and hypothetically would have no problem beating most cars in a race. They decide to race to a place called Horner's Corner and get ice cream. Because that's what you do, I guess. And so Goofy makes his way there uh, with this constant refrain, slow and steady, steady and slow, 
That's the way we always go. And sometimes it adds, and it always seems to work. Meanwhile, Donald gets really distracted along the way. He wants to stop. He wants to get his car washed because it's got to look good when he wins. He wants to go play baseball, ride skateboards, eat lunch somewhere, take a nap, all these sorts of things. Spoiler alert, like the tortoise and the hare, by the end of the story, Donald arrives at Horner's Corner and he enters the ice cream shop completely dismayed to find that Goofy is already sitting there eating ice cream waiting for Donald. How did you win? He wants to know. He just said, well, slow and steady, steady and slow. That's the way we always go, and it always seems to work. And I think where this really reminds me of the epistle of 1 Corinthians is that when St. Paul writes to these people, he's kind of saying, you know what, you have a lot of really talented people, you have a, real, a lot of really uh, competent people, but you also have some serious problems as a church. You know how to go 100 miles an hour. But you get so distracted. And so they needed to stop as a church. Stop chasing the shiny thing and pretending that their distractions were just inconsequential. It's, n- it's not enough to be an influential person in the church. It's not enough to be a church with great influence. Uh, there's an idolatry to the word impact or influence in the church. If by that what we mean is that we want to be so influential and impactful that we can just skirt around the means of becoming a holy people for God's name and glory. And it's really common now that when you see some large churches, not all, I don't want to you know, demonize large churches, but there are some, and it's common enough that when a pastor or a staff member leaves a church, they have to sign non-disclosure agreements. And that's a huge red flag that that is now acceptable as culture. Uh, That feels endemic of a larger problem, a huge red flag, that we want to be so publicly known and influential as an organization that we have forgotten this mustard seed, small way of following Jesus and his discipleship model, the way that he built disciples. And so this epistle, this letter, is written to a church that was chasing shiny things. They held grudges. They swept sin under the rug. They were plagued with spiritual pride, and they were plagued with classism, as we'll see when we talk about spiritual gifts. And before we're too quick to point the finger and go, yeah, look at those Corinthians, let me suggest that these and other problems arise for any church when Jesus is no longer at the center. These can happen to anybody, to any church, to any individual, when Jesus is moved from the center of our lives, from the center of our stories, from the center of our imagination. And I think that's what St. Paul is addressing with them in this letter. And I think it's such a helpful reminder for us this morning as well. You and I are going to deal with an array of challenges each day, an array of dysfunctions that we're dealing with on, on any given day or week. And it can be easy to chase the shiny thing, the thing thing that we think is going to save us from this place. We look for salvation in temporary devices, politicians, policies. We even make an idol out of self-care. And none of those things, if you look back at that list I just mentioned, none of them are inherently evil. Not any one of those things is sinful in and of itself. But... Our affections, our loves, have to be rightly ordered and prioritized. 
And Jesus has to be all in all because all things come from him and all things are going back to him. And so when our lives are centered on Christ, everything else can fade away into the backdrop and work themselves out. We want to be a church where Christ is central. The intro to this letter, if you, if you read those first couple verses, there's a subtle admonition in it uh, that won't be so subtle later in the letter. And this subtle admonition frames the whole discussion. God's gift of apostleship to Paul has this divine origin. There was questions about that. But he says, this is something that came from God. Not my will, but God's will. And so it's interesting. He can be equally self-effacing. But he can also take his ministry seriously enough to challenge them with the reality of the gospel. He's not worried about his own appearance. Those can both be true, self-effacing and a gravity to his ministry and living out God's call. Because what St. Paul cares most about, because God is the author of this, is living out God's call in obedience to the Holy Spirit more than preserving authority, more than preserving an appearance and then a reputation as an authority and as an apostle. His goal is to live faithfully into that calling. And that church really seemed to struggle with, with that very thing. <clears throat> rather, than, rather than how they're perceived, uh, the church should have been asking a question like, what has God called us to do, um, and how has God gifted us to carry that out? Asking those kinds of questions, what is God calling us to, what is of divine origin, what has he equipped us to do, Asking those kinds of questions allows us to be more clear about the goal that we're chasing after so that we don't chase the shiny thing, distractions, and so that we don't think too highly of ourselves. We need to be careful with too inflated of a self, of self-importance. Um, there's a gravity to that kind of ministry that takes seriously God's call that has its origin in the divine action. But... Even though there's a gravity to it and a seriousness to it, it also doesn't take, the, the person doesn't take themselves too seriously. They see God as the author of it, not themselves as the author of that ministry. So there's grace in it. Um, it's not a cheap grace. It just says, hey, you know what? Come however you are. Don't expect to change. God accepts you the way you are, and he doesn't expect you to do anything differently. Like, that's a cheap kind of grace. There is gravity and there is grace to the gospel. And, and when I think of gravity and grace, I find that there is a real beautiful balance in our book of common prayer as you pray that. There's a balance between the gravity and seriousness of the ministry of the gospel and the grace that's found in it with ourselves as being fully human embodied individuals. And having a gravity and a grace as a church is a very attractive thing because that's the kind of church that when people walk in, they go, I heard the words of Jesus. I, I experienced the things that Jesus would say, and I saw the things that Jesus would do. After this brief greeting in the first couple verses, St. Paul spends a moment giving thanks. He gives thanks for them because in Christ, they've been given the grace of God. And by grace here, he doesn't just mean an abstract love, something that they didn't deserve. Although that's true, 
Grace also has this inherent ambiguity of a gift. Uh, And God has given them spiritual, gracious gifts to live out the ministry that he's calling them to live out. And so because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them, because the Holy Spirit indwells each of them, that's going to manifest itself in gifts. Um, Gifts, the things that only God can do uh, in a church to build it up. And when he sees these gifts being exercised in that church, he has to stop and give thanks for it. Regardless of how dysfunctional the people are, the gifts themselves are the testimony that God is at work in those people. And the Holy Spirit has gifted and equipped the church with gracious spiritual gifts that are needed to build up the body of Christ in love to become more and more into the image of Christ. That was true for them. And it's actually true for each of us here this morning. And when you go to different corners of the church, you're going to experience different views on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was a a child, we went uh, to somebody who claimed to be a miracle healer and heal a family member with a bodily ailment. And I came away from that experience thinking, you know what, man, if I had more faith, maybe that would have worked. But it didn't. And to be fair, it was so long ago that I don't know that that was actually what they were preaching. Um, So I can't say that that's what they were explicitly saying. I just remember coming away with that sense. Um, And and that is obviously an an incorrect theology. But uh, there are certain places... Excuse me. uh, There are other places in Christendom, on the other extreme... Where there's a strong sense that, I'm sorry, I'm getting myself confused. Within those spaces, there are places where you can feel like you are a second class citizen. Where the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if you're not miraculously manifesting them, then you're somehow not living faithful to Jesus. And that would not be uh, what we find in scripture or the tradition of the church. It's not a mark of spiritual maturity, um, but God does miraculously work in the church. And so there's a balance here. There are other places in Christendom where the, the church is just an event to attend. It's a place to go, to look a certain way. I remember when I was in Dallas, somebody joking about how they weren't Christian, but they were Baptist. <laughs> and it's um, about right for them. And, and, and there's... And so in, in that kind of church experience, there's a balking that happens at the idea that the Holy Spirit would actually do something in you and through you that's miraculous. Um, perhaps as this passage might suggest, those churches don't experience the Holy Spirit because there's no anticipation that Jesus is going to actually return, which is something we find in verses 4 through 9. That if we, if we anticipate Jesus coming back, then in the waiting we experience the gifting of the Spirit. Both extremes, whether we have an incorrect view of the miraculous uh, happening too much and, and making a spiritual classism, and the other extreme of nothing miraculous ever happens, are both fraught with a kind of spiritual pride. But it's this former one, this idea that, you know, if you are really following Jesus, you will manifest certain gifts. That's the kind of spiritual pride we see in this letter, with this particular church in, in Corinth. 
And so one of the main reasons that St. Paul reminds them in verse 9, he says this little phrase, God is faithful. God is faithful. He has to remind them of that in this period of waiting, because waiting for Christ is really hard. On any given day, you and I are going to face disappointments. We're going to face sorrows, frustrations, injustices, triggers, things that just don't go right. They don't meet the expectations of the things that we're really hoping for. And there's grief there. And when that happens, we can be tempted to believe that um, it's all up to us to fix it. That if we would just have more faith, uh, that we could fix it with these miraculous gifts. And so we start to worry about the wrong things. Like in this particular letter, the things the church is really worried about, and some, some are also tempted to worry about, are appearances about influence, about having authority, even getting out of suffering. Man, if I could just get out of the situation, then I'd really, really experience the grace of God. But those aren't the right concerns. There can be a weariness in the waiting, waiting for Jesus. There can be a weariness in that waiting. And so you and I, just like the church at Corinth, we need that reminder in verse 9. God is faithful. God is faithful. I was tempted to text some of you who have tattoos because I really want to get that tattooed in Syriac on my forearm. I may still text you. But that phrase is so helpful. God is faithful. The gifts that I have to bless my family and this church come from God. They don't come from me. I'm not the author of my own giftings. And they go back to God. And so because of that, I can appropriately admonish somebody... Uh, and at the same time, I cannot take myself too seriously. And that's one of the beautiful things with understanding that these gifts come from the Holy Spirit and they go back to the glory of God. And the same is true for each one of you who are sitting here this morning. You all have really important, unique experiences and spiritual, miraculous gifts from the Holy Spirit that are going to be used to build up and edify this church. That because you're here, God has called you to make this church become more like Christ. And, and that's the Holy Spirit's work in you here. To build up those closest to you outside uh, this particular body. Those who you're closest to. Those in your own household. How are you called to make them uh, become more like Christ? And, and encourage them in that. But the main thing is not that we focus on a to-do list or things that you need to do. The first thing that you need to focus on and I need to focus on is, is who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? We want to become like Jesus. And if that's the focus, when Jesus is central in our thoughts and in our actions and in our imaginations, then that kind of centrality overflows into the body of Christ. We have to take care of ourselves first in Christ to take care of others. When Jesus occupies the center of our thoughts and our imagination, the center of our explorations and our goals, then other stuff around us will eventually fade away in view of Christ. And as we get into this new space, as we think about this new day, which is, uh, I told the group earlier who was playing music that there's sort of an ambiguity in this picture. You can't tell if it's dawn or sunrise. And I love that. Uh, there is both an ending of a chapter and a beginning of a brand new day for this young community. And so as we get into the new space and we pray over it, 
I want us to walk around together uh, to explore that space together. And even, actually I was thinking of this, I didn't write this down, but even as you're taking stuff either to the truck or to the dumpster accordingly, can you just take a moment and thank God for what he did with that thing? Right? Like, thank you, Lord, for these lamps. Thank you, Lord, for this cross. Those are going to go in the truck, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for those signs that sat out there week in and week out. Those will go, the signs will go in the dumpster. Save the stanchions. But thank you, Jesus, for these things. And then as we go into this new space, ask good questions about it. You know, how is this space? How are these rooms? How are these chairs? going to help the body of Christ be fashioned more into the image of Christ as we're there. And then ask what gifts the Holy Spirit might have given you as we get there. What kinds of ministry opportunities are you looking forward to on this new day, in this new building, in that new neighborhood? There is a Duck Donuts right next door. (laughs) And so I know that, you know, being in that space is going to allow us to grow. And I don't just mean in the old church planting world of the ABCs of attendance building and cash. I mean growth of people living deeper into fellowship with Jesus, of people growing in obedience to Jesus, of people being reconciled truly to one another, of people having their sins forgiven in that space, of people being freed from the things that are keeping them from living into what God is making them into in that space. From people being healed from the things that are disturbing their life with God in that space. And, and so all things come from the Lord. And of his own, we give back to him. We say that sometimes in the Eucharist. And we do this action in the offertory each week and in Eucharist each week. It's a type of the way that all, all that's true of all things go back to God and come from him. So as we explore how God's gifted us for the growth of his holy people, as we make Jesus the center and the focus of all that we do and we say and become, it's been my prayer that when people come to this church, that they come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and the ways that he shows them grace, the way that he deeply cares about them and loves them. I was blessed a couple of weeks back to take part and the ordination of a friend over at Fort Belvoir. Uh, some of you were there as well. And I was reminded during that ordination of the things that I was called to in my ordination as a priest. I love going to them um, for that reason and other reasons. But it also reminded me of the things that not only I'm called to, but as the church, what are we all called to? And during the priest's ordination, there's always this song that's sung in Latin. It's called Veni Creator Spiritus. And, and it's this, this hymn of the, the work of the Spirit who creates new life. And so as we close, I normally close with a prayer. I would like to close by praying that hymn over us. Come, Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire. Enlighten with celestial fire. Thou the anointing spirit art, who dost thy sevenfold gifts impart. Thy blessed unction from above is comfort, life, and fire of love. Enable with perpetual light the dullness of our blinded sight. Anoint and cheer our soiled face 
with the abundance of thy grace. Keep far our foes, give peace at home, where thou art guide, no ill can come. Teach us to know the Father, Son, and thee of both to be but one. That through the ages all along, this may be our endless song. Praise to thy eternal merit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.